You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Let them go. Three, the thing inside. Chapter thirteen, light of the past. Five years ago, in the spring of eighteen sixty-seven, Rebecca, at age sixteen, was busy executing her master plan. Everything in the shop, though clearly labelled in price, had been arranged by type, with sewing materials together, confectionery together, groceries together, and the small items of clothing they sold, again, organised together in different sections. Rebecca's bright idea had been to sort the entirety of the stock by price, moving from left to right with the most inexpensive items over near the counter, where the money was exchanged. Her theory had been that every spendthrift who entered the premises had a shopping list to fulfil and would make a beeline for only the items they wanted. What she was doing would present them with items they did not yet know they wanted, at prices they would know immediately whether or not they could afford. Jane had considered her daughter's plan and declared it worth attempting. And it was working. People were approaching the counter with baskets laden down and adding on sweets or sundries. Nobody asked the price of anything anymore, as each section was clearly marked, and the average spend per person was going up. Rebecca had been keeping careful track of records and pinned a vividly coloured series of ever-increasing graphs to the walls in the back. Servants on call for their masters and mistresses did not respond well to this plan, and grumbled that everything was now purposefully disorganised, even when offered help to locate what they needed. But Rebecca had noted more and more of the women of the house were coming to Havisham's to see how well they could stretch their budget themselves. It was on a May morning when a young man with dark, curly hair walked into her shop. I'm told you sell individual bootstraps here, he said politely. We absolutely do. Fine leather ones in the three shilling section, said Rebecca. He stood before her, cocked his head, and began to walk in the direction she was pointing. She kept pace with him, matching his footsteps, until the bootstraps stood between them. Hmm. None of these are quite like mine. Then you shall have to buy two. But I only have five shillings on me. Then give me the other strap and I'll knock it down to four shillings for the pair. I will take that bargain. He selected two that suited him and held them out for her. I'll bag these up for you. How did yours break? He looked down at his knee-length leather boots as they reached the money drawer and sighed. I was walking the street on the way to an appointment just now. When an errant beagle came out of nowhere and bit my strap in twain. What a monstrous hound. I should hope the woman walking him apologised. She did. In fact, she sent me here to get a replacement. His eyes were smiling now, even though he maintained a demeanour of seriousness. He handed her four shillings. These are, of course, on the house, then. Rebecca dismissed, handing the money back. Well... (gasps) Your errand! It won't do to have you turning up with your boots awry like that. Let me cut off that broken one, and I shall give you the address of a trustworthy shoemaker not two minutes from this door. You will receive no bill. At this exact moment, the back door opened, and the sound of skittering could be heard. Could you hold him, please, mother? 
Rebecca called out. Three seconds later, Jack Robinson appeared in the doorway, his paws caked in mud. Rebecca lunged to grab him, but it was too late. He was through into the shop and had nipped at the fellow's other strap. Satisfied with his now symmetrical work, he swiped a filthy, wagging tail across the man's leather-clad calves as Rebecca fashioned in her mind how the scenario might go any more imperfectly. When she opened them, the gentleman was glancing downwards, regarding the beagle who lay on his back upon the wooden boards, wriggling from side to side and proffering his belly. Whose is this dog? Rebecca exclaimed, before giving him an obliging scratch. It's quite all right. It really isn't. When's your appointment? Uh, twelve. That's eleven minutes from now. How far? Manfred Street. That's four minutes away. Sit down. I beg your pardon? Rebecca bodily moved Jack Robinson out the back and into the arms of her approaching mother. Did the young gentleman... He did. And did you... I'm in the middle of it. I shall serve then. And bless her mother's heart. Once Jack was confined to the back room, she went straight to the steadily increasing line of irate shoppers. As Rebecca drew the stranger behind the counter, sat him down and bade him take off his boots. This is going to be a quick job, she admitted, flourishing a thick leather-working needle and cord. Come back to me, if you would like it unpicked, so that I may give it my best. Her fingers worked deftly to attach the two new straps to the boots. The tall fellow sat a little awkwardly, his sock-clad feet resting upon the boards. Can I do something to help? Yes, said Rebecca, cord between her teeth, and grabbed the two closest usable items to hand, a small cloth and a corked bottle of liquid. I literally do not have time to remove the mud from your boots and trousers, so if you would... This is lemonade. And your trousers will smell lemony fresh. He nodded and uncorked the bottle, soaking a corner of the cloth. They worked swiftly together, and she grabbed at his foot and slid it into the left boot, fastening it firmly and admiring her handiwork. He finished wiping the remaining boot, and she grabbed his right foot, which, like the other, felt warm to the touch. She buttoned and fastened the second one a little slower, and rose at the same time as he, dusting him off as they stood eye to eye. You... good luck with your... appointment meeting. You look splendid. For it. Can I come back? I mean, not that you need to do a better job on these. I'm fine with the fastenings as they are. I would simply like to come back. You may come back. Please do. I would very much enjoy making up to you for the horrors my wretched dog brought upon your person. That would be very nice. Miss... Rebecca, please. And what should I call you? I'm Rafe Culver. Rebecca spent the day watching the clock and telling herself there probably wasn't much likelihood that the fellow would return to a place where his belongings had a good chance of being destroyed. She busied herself during the slower afternoon hours with cleaning up the back room and mending the rickety bookshelf whose screws would not be fully twisted in or else seemed to unwind themselves overnight. She strained and struggled to tighten the obstinate protruding heads, grinding the metal into the wood and knocking against them hard and repeatedly with the handle of the screwdriver. Jane passed by this explosive maintenance and raised an eyebrow. Something vexes thee? She asked with impeccable innocence. In response, Rebecca threw the screwdriver back into the toolbox, snapped it shut and turned around. I am in the lightest of spirits, Mother. 
I was simply wondering to myself as I worked how we might further refine our stock arrangement. And your conclusions were? There was a long pause as Rebecca pummeled her grey matter on the spot for some improvised idea. But it was no good. Her mother had her mind in full view. Oh, so what if he was a fine gentleman? We get fine gentlemen in here every week. Not as many as I should like to see. And markedly none that have caught your attention, like this one. What was it about him? He... I'm... Not sure I can describe it in words. She leaned against the wall, her brow furrowed. I suspect it was how he moved. Go on. Well, of all the men I've served in here, so many of them moved smartly, like a schoolboy who's learned over and over how to march, how to enter a room, how to greet people. I didn't get that from him. He he seemed to carry himself with a... A natural purpose. And when I went to the bootstrap section, there was this moment of agreeable rhythm. As though as though we were practising a dance together and somehow on our first try, neither of us put a foot wrong. And I was making a complete ass of myself, but it was as though it didn't matter. He thought no less of me. And that felt comforting in a way gentlemen of finery never do for me. Does that seem silly? Not at all. So now I'm waiting for him to return so my putting my feet wrong can start to bother him or something else that will ruin this perfect symmetry. Must it be perfect? Rebecca thought for a moment and avoided her mother's penetrating gaze. Amanda has been away from us for a long while now. First to Madame La Rochelle's, then to Aunt Cleo's, now Geneva... It seems, it seems like the end result of this tutelage, this travel and these connections is sort of a, for want of a better word, perfection for her. Oh, we don't seek perfection from your sister. And I have always said there is great, great value in what you are doing instead. I know. Not that I had a choice in the matter, but I know. Well, that's... Jane's face trembled. It's all right, Mother. I don't resent Amanda or father for deciding she was the safest bet. Well, now that's downright unfair. I mean it. I'm sure I do. What I'm trying to say, in the worst way possible, is that if Amanda is seeking perfection, then why shouldn't I? Why must I simply settle for what's available and what's first offered? Would it not be shrewd and discerning to wait until just the right opportunity comes along? Please don't blame your father. I said I didn't. Or me, or Amanda. We... I so want you to be happy. All you do is hang around the shop all day. You eat your meals here. You do your only relaxation in that chair. And I know that you sleep here sometimes. With these words, Jane sat in the chair herself and raised her hand to her temple. It's my venture. Are you all right? Yes, and just a little lightheaded from being on my feet for hours. I'll be fine. Jane fixed her with a hard stare. Rebecca. If he is good to his word and this young man does call back, may I heartily suggest you risk the perils of imperfection and go outside with him. He most probably shan't return, said Rebecca airily, picking up the toolbox and moving it back to its home in the utility cupboard. He was just being gracious in an embarrassing situation. And if he does return? Then I suppose 
We shall continue our dance, and I shall step on his feet. And if you do, and he doesn't mind... Then most likely I will find out he is a frightful bore after all, and that will be that. With this conclusion firmly in her mind, Rebecca scurried back out to the countertop to serve. When Rafe re-entered the shop at nearly closing time, Rebecca froze in place for the briefest of moments. Then he began to approach and she found that awkwardness melting away. It wasn't that he made her feel uncomfortable with his presence. It was his absence which had caused this build-up of frustration. This was so shocking to her, so new and easy, that she found herself breaking into a broad grin. Ah, Mr Culver, I trust your day was fruitful? It's been... interesting. Now there's a somewhat annoying term that always turns up in the place of complexity. Indeed it is. The word is the very pawn of diplomacy. Then I shall admit I've had an interesting time waiting for your return. But I'm pleased to see you. May I offer you an early supper? Again, it would be on the house. He nodded, his expression quizzical. I would like that very much. I just have to help my mother close the shop. Do you mind waiting for... Good Lord, girl, go with him. I can close up on my own. I was doing so long before you became a far better manager than I am. You seem tired today. I really shouldn't. (sighs) Again, I'm fine. The dog wore me out. Though he seems to have served his mistress well. She added slyly. Rebecca flushed and grabbed the three-quarter full bottle of lemonade. I'm taking this. She announced and walked Rafe out through the back way. Where are we going? He asked as they set off down the street. I'm going to get you the best pork and apple roll you've ever tasted. I feel like you're under the impression that you owe me greatly, miss. Said Rafe gently. I assure you, we are even. And I can pay for my own pork roll. As can I said Rebecca, as they drew up to the establishment of Messrs. Mungo and Miggin's pie shop. You're right, he conceded after savouring his first bite. In my life, I have had three pork and apple rolls of note that come close, but they will now taste like so much gristle and chaff in comparison to this morsel. Told you. It's the toasted cheese they layer on top of the grappling. Rebecca beamed with her mouth full as they sat beside the slowly moving River Avon. They chewed wordlessly for a while, but Rebecca noted that the silence was more than bearable. She glanced across at him as they shared the remaining lemonade. Do you live in Bristol? Only it seems like you're new in town. I live in London. Oh. This was a job interview for me today. But I may have gotten the position, which would mean I'd be moving here. So you could show me the town, get me acquainted. I could see myself fulfilling that task. Are you staying here? No, I have to take the train back. Hmm. What time? Oh, my ticket was for the four o'clock. It's past six. Yes, it is. Will they let you transfer the ticket? Most likely not. It's going to cost more than four shillings to get back. I'll make something up and be extra charming with the conductor. You'd go through that just to eat a pork roll with me? Well, like I said, it's a very good pork roll. What was the job interview for? Accountancy. Did you always dream one day you'd be able to balance books for a living? I dreamed of being an explorer. Hmm. Me too. And yet here I am, balancing books. Well, we could take a trip to somewhere that needs exploring one summer. I mean, if you'd like to. Hmm. I don't think I could take the whole summer off from the shop. Perhaps we could get work balancing the books for an expedition. That would satisfy my father, to some degree. 
Oh, don't even get me started on paternal expectations. I've been told for as long as I can remember by that man that my single life goal is to marry a gentleman of means. And I came so close. Still, one out of two isn't bad. I'm not going to marry you. I wouldn't dream of asking. For starters... Rebecca declared, counting on her fingers. Any and all property left to me would immediately become yours, and I've worked too hard in that shop already to give it up. Secondly, if you did earn an accountant's wage, I should be expected to stay home and raise a family, so there's my dreams of entrepreneurial endeavours out of the window. And thirdly... She jabbed at her ring finger aggressively before seeing the expression on his face. It was not annoyance or offence, but one of a soft sadness and concern. I wouldn't want to satisfy the old bastard by surrendering. She finished quietly. Not to mention the fact that we've only just met. Of course. He agreed. That's why it's ludicrous. They stared out over the green flowing water as the sun began to descend, painting everything in orange. Rebecca handed Rafe the last of the lemonade to drain, and as he took the bottle, their fingers brushed against each other in passing. I need to be getting back home. I'll walk you to the station for your confidence trickster routine with the conductor. They paced slowly, the last few minutes of acquaintanceship slipping by like the moments after a dream. They passed by Havisham's along the way, and Rebecca spotted the light still on in the back. Hold on. I need to tell her where I've been and that I'll return to the house soon. She hurried up the steps and through the back door. Rafe! She cried out. Jane was face down upon the wooden floor. You have been listening to the New Century Multiverse, Let Them Go, Episode 13, Light of the Past. Written, narrated and directed by Alexander Shaw. Rebecca Wolverton, performed by Sharon Shaw. Rafe Culver, performed by Spencer Lieb. Jane Wolverton, performed by Maureen Foley. Vision of Persistence, Moonstone, Reverie, Past the Edge and Vanishing, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. New Century is funded by you, wonderful people, who support us on Patreon. Thank you all for making us happen. Our $15 sponsors get a shout-out each week, so extra gratitude to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, 
Kieran Datchler and Lorraine Chisholm. As it turns out, that pie shop actually sold the best pork and apple rolls in the world. But since nobody had tasted all of them, nobody knew. <laughs>